0: Welcome to Dangerously Likely, I'm Caleb Smith. I'm
1: Torrance Witherspoon.
0: And today, we're Dangerously Likely to get loops. With
1: some very strong opinions.
0: Let's go above the fold with this week's headlines.
1: Last Tuesday, after hours of debate, a school board in Leon County, Florida, unanimously approved its LGBTQ plus inclusive student guide. The policy, which the board calls a quote guide and living document that can be changed easily at any time, comes after weeks of deliberation from its LGBTQ advisory committee. Assistant superintendent of the school board communicated that the document is intended to create guidelines for teachers and administrators to help students who need it and to outline state laws for employees. The advisory committee was created to review the district's longstanding LGBTQ guide, which was pulled last summer after the parents of a middle school child complained that it overstepped their parental rights. Most of the 60 or so public speakers leveled harsh criticism of the guide and effort, with some saying that it could harm LGBTQ students further, and others saying it didn't go far enough to protect parental rights. What caused the most debate was a provision that stated that the school will notify parents by form if a student who is, quote, open about their gender identity is in a physical education class or on an overnight trip with, the, with other students. Although the policy has explicit language stating that a student's gender identity or sexual orientation, quote, should not be shared with others without their, their input or permission, end quote, some teachers and students during the meeting said the policy will, quote, out, out LGBTQ plus students revealing their sexual orientation or gender identity without their permission permission, citing that a lot of times students will assume someone's sexual orientation without them having publicly done so. Kayla, before I hog the mic, I'm sure with my strong opinions about this topic, um, what are your thoughts on this development of the impact of the don't say gay law in Florida? Uh,
0: Well, first of all, I mean, their policy, they don't, their policy literally states you can't share stuff, but then has like a caveat that says, oh, yeah, you can definitely share. (laughs) if you're in a physical education class or whatnot. I mean, that is outing students in that community. I mean, 100%. Um, I mean, this is probably just the beginning, right, of the impact of this bill. I mean, I don't think school boards know how to deal with this. And I think this is the mess of whatever this is, is absolutely (laughs) evidence of that, right?
1: I mean. Certainly, yeah. I mean, it obviously seems to be quote-unquote well-intended as far as that can be well-intended with a policy like this because it is the LGBTQ plus inclusive student guide. Um, but obviously the policy outlined in it, and that's just one of the policies in this overall student guide. Right. Not only could, but f- will do great harm to LGBTQ plus students. Um, and certainly this policy is not... It, Uh, The really frustrating part about this student guide and obviously the law in Florida is that one thing that's super important when you're talking about policy, when you're talking about writing laws, is that there has to be a mechanism in which we accountability of enforcement um, and of oversight, right? And this lacks any procedural accountability. And what I mean by that is I was obviously, you know, I've been gay my whole life, but I was called gay before I knew I was gay before I was one before I knew but also before I was out and what happens when some right wing conservative or religious high school guy girl goes to their parent and says there's this gay kid in my class I don't want to have to change in the locker room with them but what if this kid's not gay what if this kid is gay and is not out who is the arbiter on how that is decided who does he tell his parents and his parents complain to the school and then there has to be some sort of arbitration about whether this kid is gay or not, and this policy applies, and that this parents should have should have known. Also, it's really interesting that, like, I mean, in in the language, it says gender identity. So, is this just people who maybe whose gender identity doesn't match that of which they were assigned at birth? So, someone who's maybe non-binary or someone who's transgender is this is this does this include sexual orientation? There's a lot of gray area, a lot of questions. This doesn't really help anyone, and. Quite frankly, to the to the bigoted, discriminatory, hateful parents who think that this is somehow pr- 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 protecting their parental rights, my question would be: For any other given reason, would you feel comfortable if something about your child ostracized them? If we just decided that if you're if you're Christian, we're going to send a form home. If you're Whatever you are, right? We're gonna send a form home to notify other parents and give them the option of making accommodations because that's not I didn't put that in the story, but that is the language that accommodations we've made available to those parents who would like their child to either change in a different area, to stay in a different cabin, to whatever it is, whether it's an overnight trip or the PE class. Like what exactly is going to be done to to in real life to bring these policies to fruition? And how will that either how will that negatively impact tons of LGBTQ plus students? It will out students, it will ostracize them, it will no doubt increase the suicide rate, it will no doubt increase the amount of time that these students are staying in the closet because they don't feel safe to be themselves at school, and if they do come out, then they are subject to some policy that ostracizes them specifically and, and casts them out in comparison to their, um, their other classmates. It is terrible, and quite frankly, what's their goal? To put a fucking pink triangle on them like this is the ho- like this is the Holocaust? Is this Nazi Germany? Is this fascism? Because quite frankly, it is. These kinds of policies are fascist. And I'm done having the conversation like parental rights. Fuck your parental rights. Because it's all a lie anyway. If this was actually some honest-to-God parental rights conversation and, and debate on a policy level, I would level that and have a, a parental rights conversation with you. But that's not what the fuck this is. And I am using absolutely explicit language because I'm done being polite about things that are not, one, not polite themselves, not right, completely discriminatory, and at the end of the day when we're trying to implement a policy, asinine.
0: One thing that that fascist leaders, that fascism requires is a scapegoat. And in Florida right now, it is anyone who might be gay, (laughs) might be part of the LGBTQ+ community right like that is what fascism requires and this is exactly what we're seeing and this is what this law is designed to do it's designed to hold on to power by using them as a scapegoat a weird parallel with this kind of stuff is you have these people who are claiming parental rights you know these conservatives you know religious people and they can't handle that there's somebody that's different than them in their own schools. I, I say this is a weird parallel because it's usually conservatives that, you know, Oh, they complain about, about Democrats and and liberals who are like, Oh, wait a second. We need to, um, we need to, uh, they complain about liberals, like, sorry for the term, but policing like language and like identity stuff and feelings and whatnot. And then they turn around and do the exact same bullshit with this bill. That they were accusing us of doing. Except that what they're doing. Really fucking harms people. like, like people, people will probably die from this.
1: They will. They will. I, they will. Caleb. I'm yes. like, I can't say that with more. I'm not saying that to be alarmist. Or morbid. That is, that is not it. I was a gay closeted kid in high school. And it is fucking hard. So to put a policy in place that specifically points you out and says you're different, you're not welcome here, other people have to have accommodations made for them because you are quote-unquote apparently too fucking dangerous to be about around them, that's the message it sends to young already, you know— likely dealing with some some sort of mental health issue as a as a result of their of their being in the closet or the battle of their own sexual orientation or gender identity this is not alarmist to say that it will 100% result in an increase in suicide or mental health um incidences with young lgbtq plus kids in florida it will there's no getting around it uh, moving on so this week oh I, you want... I i want to add something to that actually as a preview yeah, to a, the to to a preview to our conversation later so um like we we will be stepping back and being have a little more um less serious topics in our main segment today getting to some entertainment and cultural stuff and one of those things is going to be TikTok. tock and i i know you don't have a TikTok, tock caleb so i'm really kind of running solo on the examples but something that i saw because i i really do for so many reasons, Gen Z can be frustrating to me, but also they are so brilliant in other ways that so there, I watched this TikTok last night of this Florida mother um, who lives in this exact county and her kids go to this um, go to this school district. And she was talking about her and her best friend, who is another mother of a, of a son in this high school. Um, who there's about 30 plus at that time of the tick tock. And she said, it's growing list of young men and women who are straight, who plan on going and identifying as gay to the school so that they have to send this out to every parent for every class, for every PE, for every overnight trip to just flood the system, to make it ultimately ineffective because that's the thing. Gen Z, you know, like, and, and, and we'll talk about it more with, with tick later, but like Gen Z yeah, they'll protest. Yeah, they'll be all over social media, but they are sneaky. They will just slide in and say fuck oh your bullshit. God. I'm not playing yeah. your institutional games. And honestly, I was I was so elated by that because that's the one difference I was having this conversation regarding how difficult it is to be either out or in the closet or people know that you might be gay but you're not comfortable coming out in high school is that when we were when I was coming up like I regret not coming out sooner, but also like there was like the culture wasn't such that people would protect me or call other bullies if they were being rude about it, right? Gen Z is like, fuck that. This is discriminatory. It's shitty. We're not allowing you to do this to our fellow classmates. And also, as we talked about in our LGBTQ um, pride episode at the beginning of June, 21% of Gen Z identifies as LGBTQ. This isn't a small, a small percentage of people that you are ostracizing or discriminating against. It's a fifth. Of the, it's the fifth of the population. Like it's pretty silly that they're doing this, but I, I thought that I wanted to give a little preview because I saw that on TikTok and was like, "This is this is brilliant!" And thank you, Gen Z, for saving us from the absolutely terrible Gen Xers and Boomers who are making these policies and the parents who are who are supporting them.
0: That really reminds me of when there was a bunch of Gen Zers. Um, I can't remember what fan base it was that uh, bought all those Trump rally tickets. The BTS Army. rally. Yes, yes, in <laughs> Oklahoma. So funny. So there was literally no one at the rally.
1: <laughs> and that's what they're doing here. They're infiltrating the system and rendering it ineffective.
0: And I, I, I love that sneakiness. I like that, that. and yes, I guess I can say my generation. I like that my generation is just so clever like that, but they also just don't care.
1: Yeah, they really don't. They have no faith in our institution, so they don't give a fuck about pushing back against them.
0: Exactly. And you know what, like, With stuff like this, yes, do it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, do it. it. Yeah, do it. Do it. Uh, Anyways, moving on. Uh, This week, Elon Musk formally sent a letter of termination to Twitter, effectively trying to get out of buying Twitter for forty-four billion dollars. Twitter hit back. Oh my god! I mean, he can't do it. I'll I'll go into it. Twitter hit back. Rather fast, uh, just today, as at the time of this recording, it announced that it would be suing Musk to hold him to the deal. Um, so let's get into the details on this, because while it is just all so stupid, I think it is important to highlight just how big Elon Musk's fucking ego is and why that is bad for things like Twitter and maybe us in general. First, a court only really has three options when making a decision about this case. They either agree with Musk and let him terminate the deal without having to pay anything, They agree with Twitter that Musk is bound by a contract and make him pay the $1 billion termination fee that's outlined in their agreement. Or they agree with Twitter that Musk is bound by their contract and they order a specific performance, which means that he would have to pay the full $44 billion and buy Twitter. So it's important to note that unless Twitter and Elon Musk settle this outside of court, these are the only options that the court has. There's no in between. And you know what? Maybe they will settle. Maybe Musk will still buy Twitter, but for less than initially offered. Maybe Musk will walk away, but have to spend more money to walk away than $1 billion. I mean, if Musk has to pay $2 billion, that's twice as bad for Musk. If Twitter only gets, let's say, $20 billion for Musk walking away, that's still worse for Twitter. Because other, the other option is $44 billion. So if this merger is revised, you best believe Twitter is going to write an airtight contract. But the issue is that, does anybody really want Musk to buy Twitter? And to that, maybe you have some thoughts, Torrance. I would argue no. And it's clear he was pretending to want to buy it, which the SEC could see as securities fraud, which I kind of hope they do. Um, I don't think the employees, the users, and even the board really want Musk to be there. I think the only people that Maybe do are the shareholders because they'll get paid out from a merger like this, and then they can just leave this mess behind
1: i well one other caveat to that that I'm thinking as far as a uh suing and litigation on this front would be they also even if it's say for example, they go with the second option where they make him pay a cer- a certain amount to get out of his contract but not actually buy twitter um I cannot imagine i I cannot imagine Twitter's lawyers if they're good, and I'm sure they are um. Not fighting for whatever is what commensurate with their losses, right? Because the, the shares did drop after he announced that he was not going to be buying Twitter, and so they—I'm pro- sure any smart accountant and lawyer working for Twitter is tracking possible losses based on his his behavior since signing the contract, and they would probably ensure that if he's not buying it, that when he is paying the one billion dollar contract fee, but also any lost damages due to his behavior uh, in in breach of the contract. Um, and and I would I would bet that any Good lawyer would obviously ensure that that's a part of it, and I cannot see any really like fair judge not seeing that as a a proper pay repayment for damages. Because anyone who's been watching this unfold realizes that obviously, one, well, this has been a huge ego trip for Elon Musk. As you were asking the question, no, I don't think that anyone wants Elon Musk. He he literally since he has announced his. His uh intent to buy Twitter, it seems like his brain and his ego has like doubled in size. The random, strange behavior from this fucking man is like only increased oh my god. yeah, like he's oh my such god. a strange man. um and he seems to be like it seems like from the moment that he made the offer to buy Twitter, like almost this like, I don't know, he just started acting like he was a god or something like he was completely beyond the law be above the law could could not get could not be punished for anything as if he doesn't know how business works like he could just sign this contract and decide he's not going to buy it and face no consequences it just seems really insane
0: it's very stupid like if anybody like has twitter and sees Elon Musk's tweets first of all half of them are just dumb but I then there's like oh yeah I should do that but there's like hundreds of comments underneath that are all just from people who like blindly support him. And it's kind of weird. It's just a weird, it's weird. But anyways, um, let's talk a little bit about like why Musk is trying to get out of this contract. Um, or I guess more like how, I, I mean, why, I don't know. He's just pretending he doesn't want to fucking buy it, but to get out of a contract like this, there really does have to be a material breach made by Twitter. um, There isn't. Musk is trying to claim that Twitter is not telling us information about how many users are actually bots to kind of fulfill this claim. Twitter says it's less than 5%, but Musk believes they're lying. Uh, But also keep in mind that part of Musk's reason to buy Twitter in the first place was to get rid of bots and make Twitter better by authenticating all humans on the platform. It was quite literally part of his reasoning about why he was going to buy it at the very beginning. If bots really did make up more than 5% of users on Twitter and there's no evidence of that, then that would actually, I'd argue, would be a great thing for Musk. It would leave so much more room for Musk to grow Twitter positively and get rid of the bots. Plus, more bots means that Twitter's return on each user is actually greater than it's currently known to be, which creates a lot more upside to gaining more users for Twitter. So if anything, Musk would want there to be a lot of bots. He would want there to be a bot problem
1: so that there is so much more upside for him in a deal like this. Cause technically it's an inflated value then, which he could then argue is a breach of contract. And that would be untrue. Yep. Uh, so, you know, I, I think it would be fucking
0: awesome if Twitter was able to actually win a lawsuit like this, make Musk pay the whole $44 billion. I don't know if I want to see Musk own it though. So, I think that the best option for Twitter is probably somewhere in between. It's some kind of settlement outside of court, and I, that's probably what's going to happen. Most of these end up that way. Um, but what I don't know. What's your thoughts, Torrance?
1: I, I don't know. I, my my legal hat is on. Certainly, I wrote down already because I was writing down like some things to make sure I didn't forget it. And the one specific thing I put down is that even say in the in the scenario where Musk's argues there's a breach of contract that they're lying about. The percentage of bots on Twitter, the onus isn't on Twitter to prove that the onus is on Elon Musk to prove that when he is when he right when he levels the accusation that they are in breach of contract due to lying about the numbers that they are providing him. so one Twitter would not have taken this deal or would not have even entertained the deal had they not felt confident in their positioning at least i don't believe they would have as they know the possible dangers of him taking this platform right i don't think that they would have made such a deal without feeling airtight about their business practices and what the and what's in the contract for this for the sale obviously i can't speak to that obviously i am sure that a billionaire like elon musk has some of the most intelligent scummy lawyers on planet earth working for him right so I am sure that there are going to be many ways that they are going to try to um, get out of this deal with minimal damage or cost to, to Musk. Um, however, I think that it actually ends up being a real benefit to Twitter that he has been so ignorantly public about every single part of this. Because I think that, that, because they're, because they're, I think that Twitter's lawyers will, will be able to argue quite a bit that's in the public uh, forum. We'll be able to take things oh, he yes. said and done and talk about his, like you're saying, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know why I'm blanking right now. Um, the fraudulent intent to buy Twitter. And I think that there are things that he has said publicly that would prove his fraudulent intent to ever actually purchase the platform.
0: Yeah. Legally, I think Twitter has a really good case. In yeah. fact, it would be a, quite the shock if if, it went, if they didn't settle, if they didn't win, like outright. I think anyways, um, on a, from a business perspective, I think it's bad for Twitter no matter what, unless Musk actually buys it. Because I think, I think if the deal doesn't go through, I think that means your stock tanks. And I think oh. that's just what's going to happen to Twitter. Even if they have $20 billion of cash from Musk to do whatever with. So
1: like the stock same. tanks, <laughs> but the user value does not right. You know, I mean, like, that's, I think.
0: Maybe. I mean, business-wise, in terms of capital and stuff, that's bad for a company. But, like, in terms of actual value, might be a good time to buy. I don't know.
1: (laughs) Especially if they have actually done the work to provide the real data on the bots, and it is less than 5%, as we were talking about the inflated user value. I think that I'm not worried about Twitter as much. I mean, it's not going to be good for their stocks, but also it's not like their stocks have been like, you know, sitting in some soaring place anyway, along with the rest of the fucking economy. So like, yeah, I think that they could survive it. It also has the very strong position of being in the social media and media zeitgeist that we, we, we use Twitter for so much. Yeah. Yeah. Twitter's
0: not... That's the thing is like Twitter, unless Musk buys it, Twitter's not going to really change at all in the next year, probably. And so our experience won't change and most of us will probably keep using it. So,
1: yeah. Um, yeah, I, I'm interested to see how this plays out. And quite frankly, I didn't used to have such strong feelings about Elon Musk. Now, I just don't like the fucker. I didn't really He's care that asshole. much either, but yeah, seconded Like it just feels like he's just throwing his ego around and that's and that's completely it like yeah, he he actually absolutely. feels like I mean, this is off topic, and because but because we talked about it, via, we told y'all we'd be loose today because we talked about it via text. But like you know, like I was saying, like his his behavior just keeps getting more and more fucking strange, uh, with the news of of his twins being born via a, a an exec of a, of a tech company that he slept with. Um, oh my god! And, and his justification and his, of that, yeah, his On Twitter justification. about
0: underpopulation Ooh. and how that's going to destroy the world.
1: Ew. He's he's bro. just doing his part for the for the underpopulation. Problem, what consumer over consumerism um, to, climate tone deaf asshole are you? Like, <sighs> What he means by that, as as he is obviously um, a baron of capitalism, and he, is <laughs> what he means is my worker base is shrinking. Not that the world is under-fucking-populated. We don't have enough fucking air, gas, and, and shit here right now for the people that exist. The notion that we have an underpopulation problem when there are 7-plus billion people on this planet is asinine as shit. How do you say that with a straight face? It's absolutely insane. We have an energy fucking problem. Yeah. A pollution problem. A consumer problem. It's insane.
0: Yeah. Why do all billionaires have to be just so messed up? I don't know.
1: Because there's a reason they are. They are selfish fucking consumerist capitalists who will do anything for a buck, including sell out the rest of humanity. And I said what I said, damn it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. To uh, on to our next story. Story: President Joe Biden um, this past Monday. Uh, said the Supreme Court decision overturning the right to an abortion was an exercise in quote, raw political power and signed an executive order on Friday to ease access to services to terminate pregnancies. Biden has been under pressure from his own party to take action after the landmark decision last month to overturn Roe Roe v. Wade, which upended roughly 50 years of protections for women's reproductive rights. The order directs the government's health department to expand access to quote, unquote, medication abortion, which are pills prescribed to end pregnancies and ensure women have access to emergency medical care, family planning services, and contraception. It also mentions protecting doctors and women who travel for abortions, as well as mobile abortion clinics at state borders. What we're witnessing, quote from the president, what we're witnessing wasn't a constitutional judgment. It was an exercise in raw political power, Biden told reporters at the White House. Quote, we cannot allow an out of control Supreme Court working in conjunction with the extremist elements of the Republican Party to take away freedoms and our personal autonomy. End quote. I am happy to see that the president is doing what he can at an executive level to try to ensure that there is access to healthcare and reproductive rights for women in this country. I have a lot of, I have a lot of thoughts wrapped up in this one because it is, I obviously been our party, the democratic party um, people in are very upset, think that he can do more. And I, I think that he has been rightfully in, in as is exemplified in this executive order, what he can at an executive level. Now he can try to corral more support within his party, but what I, I I get a little frustrated by people's frustration with them saying he's not doing enough is what is it that you'd like to see? Tell me like, like tell us what it is you'd like to see that you think Uh, you can do.
0: I might be one of those people right now. And it's not that I don't understand the limits of his power and what the Supreme court's, unhinged power right now means it's that look i'm glad that he did this executive order i also feel like you know they had six weeks to you know see it coming and so i was kind of like why didn't this come out like the day after or the day of that ruling like they knew it was coming we all did i i kind of just wish that in lieu of his limited power to actually do something and with Congress and whatnot, I kind of wish we were seeing a lot more of him like out talking about this and messaging about this in trying, trying stuff. Like, even if it fails, like, I would love to see a vote in Congress and the Senate, you know, codifying it. I would love to see him like trying stuff and get caught trying. Well, and trying yeah, to, I agree. Because I yes. want, I want, I want him to show us that he is fighting for us every day, and I think it's important that he does because his poll numbers are so bad, and I don't think people think feel like that he's fighting for us, even though, even though there is an understanding that we have to have about his limit to power. I just wish that we were seeing a little bit more of him trying to drive that narrative, trying to uh, uh, just at least show. That he's fighting for us, not that I personally don't think he is. I, I was just a little bit I almost felt like the response to this wasn't as urgent as I felt like it should have been and still should be
1: i I think that you're right. And I think that that's largely a communications problem the White House is having in general. And, and we could sit here and, and and I'm open to doing so have like a very robust conversation about the communications issues that this uh, administration faces like, like, so let's level it just like to peel back for a second. Like, our polling numbers about are like in like the high 60% around, about is the country going in the wrong direction. Um and and that's obviously been leading a lot of the polling numbers um, that are, he, he's, he's at a pretty low polling number right now in his approval rating, um, but still wins in a head-to-head matchup against Trump. It's very interesting. Um, Kamala Harris's polling numbers are also in the dumps, but she also wins in a head-to-head matchup against Ron DeSantis. So, like, polling... Uh, is all relative and it it paints a larger picture um, that like that like people are upset with what we have not been able to accomplish. I think this administration, correct. But and rightfully so, like, I don't want to espouse that I am not one of those people that is getting so fed up with our institutions and so fed up with the very little to nothing that can be done about fucking anything. Right. But at the end of the day, even though I, I can I can step back and and have that opinion and I feel it very strongly and and my belief in the power of fixing our institutions wanes, I think, daily. Um, because at some point we can't say there's not enough there's not enough engagement, there's not enough civic civic participation to change our institutions, which might also be true. But like when the institutions are are broke and corrupt and being used to deprive people of resources and access uh, and, and, and their own uh, rights, it's hard to then say, but despite those things, go engage because it might work out. When, it, when, when We've been saying that for several elections now, and it hasn't fucking worked out. We need to stop acting like the onus is completely on people. As if they haven't done the work to try to elect those who said they were going to do something about it. And yes, I understand the limitations of his power. I understand the limitations of our power in Congress. But we have to be honest about the fact that that is a tired ass argument to make to people who have been making calls and knocking doors and showing up to elections we have had record turnout so we can't keep saying well no one's turning out well we keep on beating that record every every election for the past three elections what the fuck do we want from people right like there is there is a point to be made about that and I know if Terrell was here he'd be losing his absolute mind about what (laughs) what is coming out of my mouth and and I I love you Terrell I know you're going to be listening to this one but like it's (laughs) <laughs> we can't keep acting like the onus is completely on people, like they're doing nothing, because we also can't act like there's not a point to be made about being disengaged at this point. It, yeah. You know, like, and, that, and that's frustrating, but I do want to add a little fact check on here, okay? So but after I wrote, wrote this up to um, earlier today, um, uh, Secretary Becerra... Health and Human Services uh, sent out a a national notice to all healthcare providers in the country because the Biden administration has possibly found a way to at least protect those um, who are having ectopic pregnancies, et cetera, at a federal law. So there is a 1986 um, law called the Emergency Medical Treatment and Active Labor Act um, that requires, um, so it says the EMTALA statute requires that Medicare hospitals provide all patients an appropriate medical screening examination stabilizing treatment and transfer if necessary irrespective of any state laws or mandates that apply to specific procedures meaning any woman in a state that does that does, has an abortion ban that does not have an exception for <coughs> ectopic pregnancies miscarriages um uh you know still <coughs> births in, in like uh babies that die in the womb Um, And then people who are, you know, because, you know, there are states now where usually you'd have to have an abortion to eject the fetus. Let's just use the medical terms here that they would have to carry that baby to term a dead baby, which could also put them into sepsis and risk their life. Right. So now there there is a federal statute that protects health care providers from making um You know, uh, Javier Becerra said today, quote, if a physician believes that a pregnant patient at an emergency department, including certain labor and delivery departments, is experiencing an emergency medical condition, as defined by EMTALA, um, and that abortion is the stabilizing treatment necessary to resolve that condition, the physician must provide that treatment. So it has given them protection under federal statutes which supersede um, state abortion bans to make sure that women who need an abortion for that is medically necessary are protected, Which this does not go as far as protecting the overall reproductive right that we need to protect for all women to make the independent choice regardless of health of, of their medical circumstance at the time um, of like th- I'm not saying we shy away from obviously continuing to fight that damn battle because we must because this is about bodily autonomy and and, and one's individual liberty and, and freedom but. In the meantime, this is evidence of them really just combing through what they can do at a federal and executive level to protect these rights to the best of their ability. And I hate to say it, and i like, I just ran that in complete rant, and sorry for hogging the mic because I got strong feelings, but I said keep it loose with a lot of strong opinions, um, that we do, unfortunately, and I, I hate it, I do, I, I hate this tired argument, guys, but we do have to vote. I have that strong opinion. I, I have that strong opinion. I, I hate that it's that it's that it's the argument we're making to people after we've asked them time and time again to vote for us so that we can do something for them and not been able to not been able to deliver on it because of limitations of our powers. that right now, the only way for us to cut of is to get two additional senators to make cinema and mansion null and void. And we need, to keep the, we need to hold the House. That is how we are going to codify Roe. The president has already said that he would make an exception for the filibuster. So did members of the Senate. Uh, even Manchin said that he would make an exception for the filibuster for reproductive rights. So we got to we, we gotta vote this fall. It's frustrating. And it's not that we're just protecting ourselves from something worse happening. This is us saying, here's explicitly what must be done so that we can do X, Y, and Z. And I think, in a way that we haven't for other th- for other um, specific initiatives, the president, the Senate, the House has all said, "If you give us what we need, we will codify Roe immediately after the election, and people are, are sworn into office." So. I am sorry, and I am as pissed off as all of you guys are from hearing this show up at the ballot, show up at the ballot, show up at the ballot, and expecting a different result. But I'm going to ask you one more damn time because our rights are on the line in a way that they weren't before. Bodily autonomy, people's uh, ability to make their own reproductive uh, choices. And we are right at the precipice, I would say, my friends. We've 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 got to show up for ourselves this fall. And if we elect and we give them a complete majority without being handicapped by cinema and and mansion and they still don't do something, trust me, I will be right there with you and completely giving up on all this bullshit. And you can quote me on it.
0: (laughs) No, I agree. I agree. I feel it feels like we are right on the precipice. And yes, I even though I don't know, like voting is gonna be the answer, I understand that it doesn't That a lot of people get mad at that, especially when something like this is taken away. But I don't know what else to say. That is how we are gonna get it back. Um let's check out the international (laughs) full torrents. Let's hear. Last week 60 seconds. (laughs) (laughs) You stole you stole Torrell's line. (laughs) Last week during a campaign rally, Japan Prime Minister Shinzo Abe was shot by a makeshift firearm. After being rushed to the hospital, he later died. Japan is a peaceful country that has only had one gun death in the last year, making this all the more shocking. Torrance, like I said before, it's shocking to hear about a world leader being assassinated like this, especially in a country that has very, very tight gun restrictions. What is your reaction?
1: Um... I, I'm heartbroken for the Japanese people. I, I want to start by saying that and, and and honoring the life of someone who was truly a um, powerful leader for his people. Um, someone who I think was a political leader who had humility, who cared deeply about being doing well at his job and representing his people in a positive light and building a stronger J- Japan, um, which he did. I mean, a lot of people don't know that that Shinzo Abe when he, when he was just recently um the prime minister of Japan from 2012 through through 2020 that that wasn't his first time being prime minister that one that that made that run from 2012 to 2020 made him the longest serving prime minister in Japanese history um but that he was the prime minister in 2006 2007 first and that he himself um resigned from his position because he didn't believe that he was being as effective as he could be for his people and wasn't the right leader and voluntarily stepped away. And people thought that that was the end of Shinzo Abe's political career in Japan. And, 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 and Shinzo Abe, people don't know, comes from a, uh, comes from, you know, political blue buds in, in Japan. His family has been involved in the liberal democratic party um, for generations, or at least the iteration of that party for generations. And um, he took his, his his leadership as a prime minister very seriously so much so as to bow out himself uh, the first time around to create a coalition party in two thousand and seven um, when he didn't feel like he was being successful just to turn around in two thousand and twelve and win it and become one of those beloved and longstanding prime ministers in Japan's history and I think that he is someone who had a a razor sharp view of what kind of international uh, policy that they should be pursuing he strengthened there a, our a, a alliance. Um him and you know, him and President Obama had a strong relationship and they strengthened our alliance. And that really uh benefited Japan and made them a, a larger world player um in the South China Sea and in East Asia. And um I think that he also had a very razor-sharp uh economic plan that has has paid off quite well for his people. And I just think that he is one of those um political figures, especially among democracies, where it, it was very I don't want to say altruistic because obviously it's such a tough game just to say something like that, but I feel like he was genuinely in it to try to do the right thing, and his in an evidence of his resignation in two thousand seven, I think speaks to him being someone who really was just trying to do a good job on the behalf of the Japanese people. And so what I would say is I'm just so sorry to the Japanese people with this great loss, and um, you know among democracies, I mean we've lost a, a wonderful leader, and it's truly sad that he went in such a terrible way.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't have said it any better myself. Um, my heart goes out to the Japanese people and, of course, his family, too. Um, I I just, I don't know. You just don't see something like this happen every day. And it was very not expected to happen, especially in Japan.
1: I was like, in Japan, here you might, but not there.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was when I was reading the story about it, one of the um, uh A Japanese person that was quoted in it um, was saying, you hear about this stuff all the time in the U.S. You never hear about it here. So anyways, uh, let's go around the world in under a minute. (laughs) Uh, UK's Prime Minister Boris Johnson has resigned from his position after nearly 60 members of his own government resigned due to numerous ethics scandals involving the Prime Minister. Even with their offensive in eastern Ukraine on pause, Russia has begun stepping up their attacks on civilian areas and is expecting a shipment of armed drones from Iran soon. And after months of protests in Sri Lanka over economic fallout, protesters peacefully took over the official residence of the president and private home of the prime minister. They say the leaders were corrupt and mismanaged the economy that led to the fallout. And with that, we'll be right back.
1: And we're back with dangerously likely as i mentioned earlier we were going to step back from some of the heavy conversation that i'm in mean, above the fold which as you guys have been here with us was a was a nice long 40 minute deep conversation about the happenings in our world um but we, we knew that you know week after week we've really been dealing with some heavy stuff in in the news and, and things going on in our country and um we just remember that also this is a podcast about culture and and in our generational perspective which um we live in what I believe to be the golden age of television between broadcast and cable and all of the streaming networks um, where we do have people that know over 500 scripted shows on television that are eligible for Emmy consideration. Um, and today we wanted to jump into the 2022 Emmy nominations, which were announced today, this morning. Um, off the top, we got Succession leading the nominations with 25 nominations overall. Um, and no then surprise with te- there. Right. No, no surprise at all, which was also the case last year, them leading in the nominations, um, followed by Ted Lasso and The White Lotus, which each earned 20 nominations itself. Um, and then a Euphoria and Squid Game, which are behind that, um, that have um, in the double digits of nominations. Uh, so the HBO drama series that landed a, a, a total of 25 noms, including best drama series, um, I wanted to, to kind of dive in and, and get some thoughts um as we go through each of these categories so for best drama series um we had better call saul euphoria ozark in its final season severance squid game stranger things Success success succession excuse me and yellow jackets which is a showtime joint um what are your thoughts i know that we both haven't obviously watched all of these but we've both watched quite a few of them um I know you have strong opinions about succession in the drama series category. Um. (laughs)
0: Look, I, um, here's the thing is I've seen on this list, I've seen euphoria, uh, the newest season of that I've seen the first season of severance. um, The, the fourth season of stranger things, the third season of succession. And I, I've seen a little bit of squid game. I actually didn't finish it. I, I, they were all good. I mean, there's not a show here that's bad. And I guess that's probably what you want from a list like this. But like, like obviously, I love Succession. I think if Succession doesn't win Best Drama Series, I mean, I know these are unrelated, but I think that uh, Jeremy Strong from Succession has a real shot of, of winning another Emmy this year for this. I would not be surprised. He was... Torrance, have you watched this show yet? no i think you i think you are going to be blown away by his performance in this show it is consistently I, incredible
1: i have i so I, i've read a lot about his performance and seen a ton of clips mostly because i oh yes um you know obviously all of the 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 conversation around jeremy strong's approach to acting but also like as an actor like who just got done doing a show where i am i am literally nothing like the character i was playing and required so much removing of oneself to try to step into that that role which like to get into the conversation which is why i love talking about television as an actor is like what i think people (laughs) don't understand is like it's not just like mimicry it's not just like you read a script and you like decide how you're going to deliver a line and like that's that that gives you the totality of this performance like As an actor, and this people are going to be like, oh, okay, you know, people have strong opinions about the work of acting and and what it takes, but like, you don't get wrapped up in a a character in a show like Succession without people building an entire human being how they sit, how they talk, how they lean against walls, how they pick up things, how they walk across a room, what the intent of that walk across the room is, right? Like, there's so much more involved in it. And as in so much I read about Jeremy Strong, like, people might think, okay, he's a little bit intense, but what is the work show? Do you believe his character? Are you? Do you have emotional reactions to it? Do you absolutely hate his character because you are supposed to? Like, like are they like these? Is he is he succeeding, and is he not being a shitty person to people in his process? Right, like this is not people were saying he's over committed and doing doing all of this like <laughs> crazy committed thing, but that's much better than being the asshole on set who doesn't do any preparation, treats people like shit, and then thinks they can just go up there and read a line. And a lot of there's a lot of big name actors who do that. You know who are just assholes in general. So at least he's yeah. being overcommitted to his craft and quite frankly, as people have seen, providing an excellent performance. So I haven't seen the show and quite frankly, it is. I haven't watched it because I'm a little nervous about like how obsessed I'll get.
0: <laughs> <laughs> You're going to get obsessed because it's so good. <laughs> Every single character is a bad person and yet you, the show makes you root for them a little bit. And I, I got to say like, Obviously, I think Jeremy Strong should probably win an Emmy for this. But every single person in
1: that show, actor, is so good. They are so good. So, so to offer context to the conversation since we did veer into it um jeremy strong in that best actor in a drama series category is up against um brian cox his co-star in succession jason bateman in the final season of ozark uh lee jung Jae from squid game bob odenkirk from better call saul and adam scott in severance um which is a ben stiller production um to the point that you were making regarding like the lineup of nominations is that that's the thing when we have 500 scripted Plus scripted shows eligible for nom- for nomination between broadcast, cable, and and streaming services. This is where we're at competition wise. Like it's almost getting to the point where like some of these awards become so null and void, right? Because like you can look at best drama series, and I feel like I could make a very strong, almost Ph.D. level argument, <laughs> right, for each of these shows why they are either culturally or production value or performance wise absolutely incredible pieces of entertainment that deserve to be lauded with an award for different reasons with different audience bases. You know what I mean? Like the only thing, you know, the one thing on here that I think, or the two on here that I think have captured the entire zeitgeist, regardless of age have been stranger things and squid game.
0: Oh, that's funny. See, I don't think I would put stranger things on this list.
1: Are you out of your God forsaken brains right now? Did you watch the same season four that I watched?
0: I love it. I think it's great. I just don't think it even gets close to what the level of succession is at.
1: See, but they're different. That's the thing. Like that's the thing is when I was talking about being able to make an argument. Like succession has this like high level of writing and prestige and acting and narrative that is so brilliant and incomparable in a way to something like Stranger Things that is so epically camp great writing, wonderful acting, but in a completely different way when we're talking about production value and entertainment. Like, I don't think you put Stranger Things in succession next to each other and somehow think that there's a comparable debate to be had about these things because they are two uniquely different types of entertainment.
0: Oh, I so I completely agree with that. I just, Stranger, okay. I don't know how to explain this because I think euphoria, severance, and Succession are so good. Like, I mean, I want Euphoria to win. Quality-wise, just incredible. And the people in it are incredible. The story is riveting. Um, Stranger Things, I feel the same way about it, but I, I don't feel, I don't know how to explain this. I don't feel like it's completely unjustified. It doesn't make sense because I love it, but I just feel like the other shows are a step above.
1: In what way? You have to have language for that, though.
0: I, ha- I know I have to. I have to. I don't want to use the word quality because otherwise, I don't think it's just that a feeling
1: you're getting, right? Like, and this is an award. <laughs> there has to be an actual like rubric for your decision making. <laughs> otherwise, care it's like about your I just feelings. love that one. Yeah, I just love that one. It's nice. It's fun. I was entertained. <laughs> <laughs> like, you're know, like it's just not. I mean, it's probably how some people are voting. Let's be honest, but there should be a more a more meticulous, regimented approach to it.
0: <laughs> I-, I think that like. Sh- Stranger Things, to me, feels like... The blasphemy not... is
1: coming. The blasphemy is coming. I can hear it.
0: <laughs> the word. The word quality isn't isn't what I'm really... It's what keeps coming to mind, but it's not what I mean.
1: Yeah, I, I... hope not. It's <laughs> like no. so, so quality? Have you to seen? Me,
0: to me, Stranger Things doesn't feel like... While I love the story... And all of it, it doesn't feel like it is as put together. It doesn't feel like it flows as much as the others do. And I don't know how to.
1: And what do you know mean? To, that? <laughs> like, what do you mean flow? There's they have a lot going on back, all at to once back, to back epic seasons. No, no, no.
0: I agree. There have been my favorite seasons of the show. They have been. Like this is this is coming from someone who is a big fan of this of this season too. That is on the docket here. And I still feel like in terms of how they structure the episodes and how they structure the scenes and whatnot, while it's good and I enjoy it, I don't think it reaches the level that something like Succession does. I don't know how to, else to say this.
1: I know I'm I, 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 know I'm I'm probably language. wrong here. Well, I, I, no, that's the argument I'm making, right? is I don't know that wrong is the way to put that or to simply say like, that's where I'm struggling. And I know that this is maybe too much of me being like a creative and a writer, an actor, like just wanting people to get their flowers for their hard work and great and great, you know, um, product that they've put out, which for succession and for stranger things, that's, that stands to be true for every single one of these nominees. It stands to be true. Um, but I think that like what you're describing and I, and I was hesitant to even put language to it for you is like this very, very, very classic, um, example of the way that we as human beings relate to either fantasy like fantasy or really fictional um or lesser lesser realistic narratives and stories and we, we we see them as less prestigious as ones like succession that deal with very real world problems relatable commentary on politics like all of these kinds of things in which feels so relevant and heightened to the exit to the time that it exists in which they it's way harder for us to 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 grasp onto something like stranger things in the same way you could make all these really relevant associations with succession and it's something that is as as a tale that's as old fair. as time when it comes to t- television and film. It's why it's why it's the whole Marvel versus the independent art, art house films with Oscars, right? It's like don't tell me Endgame is not good writing. Don't tell me it's not decent. It's not good acting. Don't tell me it's not incredibly entertaining. Like don't <laughs> tell me that like from exactly because you're looking at it from a different lens like all of it's fake. And that's where as an actor I think I feel differently about it because I'm like it would require the same amount of me to get into a character in Stranger Things as it would for me to act like I'm someone in that that whose daddy is a billionaire who owns a news company. Like it would require the same amount of work to find the reality of that character. And that's actually that's actually what I think to be because on the topic of Stranger Things, the snub, the snub, the snub of Sadie Sink okay. um is that like the way that you could like the 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 humanity in those characters amidst the fantasy is what I think is so damn well done, but anyway, I, you know
0: I think it's well done too, and i but I think you're I do think you're right. I think succession for me feels a lot more real and relevant, and stranger things feels like a really nice escape while you're watching it,
1: yeah, they're just two different types of they're different. entertainment, yeah,
0: yeah, they're different 100%. And in some ways
1: incomparable, yeah,
0: you know what series I wish was on this that isn't. Yes, I would love to hear that.
1: Actually, for all mankind, is that the HBO?
0: No, it's on Apple TV Plus, and it's about the space race. It's an alternate history of the space race. And on
1: Apple TV Plus. Oh, okay. It's, it's so, so
0: good. I mean, I think that the first like few episodes in season one are a little slow, but I've never been gripped by a TV show in those intense moments that I have with this. It is consistently, I think, one of the best shows that's been out for the last couple of years that nobody's talking about. And I'm like kind of sad that I don't like see anything about it on here because you should watch it. I think it is so good. And I'm and also And I nerd love for space. space travel.
1: Yeah, I was like, I love space
0: travel. So, and that's... you are going to freak out. So, this is in the trailer for it. So, it's not a spoiler, but basically, the premise of the show is that, you know, it's the space race like normal, but then the Soviet Union gets to the moon first. But then this alternate history starts to unwind because the USA never gives up like the Soviet Union had to in their real history.
1: We just keep going.
0: Yeah, so every season, so like there's crazy technological advances that happen so fast because of the technology that comes out of the space race. Every season is the next decade. Every season jumps mm. a decade. So, right now we're in season three and we're in the 90s. It's so good. It's so good. Okay. There's Might only like one. That? Yes, watch it. There's only like one like plot line right now that I really do not like, but that's a okay. different day for. That's I a also different love al-
1: alternate history. Like, I love that like as a concept in fiction. I love alternate history. You will
0: love it because in between the seasons, it jumps like eight to 10 years. And then they'll have two minute clips about like a big thing that happened in that decade that we missed um mm. and it'll show us the alternate history of what happened and then it'll flip around in that two minute clip and show us the real history of what actually happened
1: oh interesting okay i'm it's gonna this super is, cool this is this is getting pushed up really really near to the top of the list um well as we as you guys <laughs> see when Terrell's away we just are t- we are we are just, just um talking. Yeah, Chatty Cathy's, um, as my grandma would say, which which, <laughs> if anyone knows what Chatty it. Cathy doll is, like, you know, shout out to the boomers. Um, <laughs> they So on to the next category, which is Best Comedy Series, which I am so freaking excited about, um, yes, because about right this. off the top, we've got um, nomination for Abbott Elementary, which is like the only... Um, broadcast I think show on the entire list of nominations this year um but so freaking well deserved and quite frankly should probably win um followed by Barry from HBO Curb Your Enthusiasm from HBO Hacks from HBO Max The Marvelous Mrs Maisel in its third season from Amazon Only Murders in the Building from Hulu Ted Lasso from Apple TV Plus and What We Do in the Shadows which is an FX production um again another really stacked I think nom- um nominations list um Abbott Elementary I think has really captured the zeitgeist and which is i think a heavy feat for some for a show that's on broadcast television this day and age and in, in competition with every other show on here um being from a streaming service or streaming service adjacent and what i mean by that is fx um creates content for hulu um and is it, and owned the, under the disney umbrella if people didn't know that fx um hulu disney um or ABC Freeform are all owned by Disney just for a little entertainment, you know, uh monopoly uh, information for you people. <laughs> uh, uh, but um, I, I, I'm a huge fan of Abbott elementary. I think that it is, it is so relevant, so funny, well-written. It's w- written by uh, Keenta Brunson, um, who is a, a, a black, um, a, a black actress and writer and who, is also uh, received her first nomination for best actress in a comedy series. Um, So as the writer, creator, and lead actress in the show, I'm just really freaking excited uh, to see her get her flowers. Um, What are your thoughts on this category, Caleb?
0: So I've seen, uh, I've seen Barry Hacks and Ted Lasso. I haven't seen the others, which honestly, I need to be adding all of these to my list, I think. But um, first of all, I think, I I mean, I echo you. Based off the shows I've watched, this is a very stacked list. I mean, Ted Lasso is quickly becoming a classic, and I thought season two was really great. Hacks season two, I just finished it actually the other day. Fresh in my mind, very good. I mean, it would be well-deserved if it won. Very, just very good in general. The story flows very well. The comedy is more clever than just what you hear on the surface. Uh, It's more about the situation at times Barry is the king of that Barry with Bill Hader in it. I it's probably one of the weirdest TV shows you'll watch, but also one of the most clever, funny TV shows you'll watch. It is so good. And I think it's been one of the top performing in terms of Rotten Tomatoes uh, shows of the year. So far um, season three has just, just great options all around.
1: Yeah anyone who hasn't like take uh, watched Only Murders in the Building with uh Steve Martin, Martin Short and Selena Gomez, um which has just picked up for a second season on Hulu, it is so brilliant. I mean, it's Steve Martin and Martin Short. So, you know, get real, <laughs> right? We're talking about literal comedic Gorgeous. icons um who who don't miss and literally have not ever missed. And then Selena Gomez who like people might think this is very interesting, but I was just following a um not following, watching an interview between uh Gene Smart and um uh, Martin Short about their act. It was an act on Actors on Variety. And, you know, he was just talking about like the absolute brilliance of Selena Gomez and how he actually thought, you know, when they were going in for the first day, he was like, Oh God, like, you know, she's this huge superstar, this pop star, this actress, like she could be a nightmare. And then he was like, she's brilliant. She's funny. She's sweet. She's kind. She's so polite. She's, she's the best, you know, to work with and that she's very much about the work. But here's the thing. No one, this is the biggest snub. One of the biggest snubs. I have like three big snubs. I am feeling fucking fired up about, but her (laughs) being snubbed in the best actress or supporting actress category for a comedy series really does frustrate me because I think it has everything to do with who she is and not at all to do with her performance. Um, because there are other members of this, um, other members that are nominated for best actress in a comedy series um, that, quite frankly, in my opinion, don't uh, deserve it quite as much as she does. Um, it's 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 a, now that I'm looking at it, I think a smaller nomination list um, with only Rachel Brosnahan from Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Quinta Brunson from Abbott Elementary, Kaylee Cuoco from The Flight Attendant, and Jean Smart from Hacks. Um, that like. It's just really. I want to make sure I didn't miss it because I know Cheryl Lee Ralph just got her first ever nomination for an Emmy after fifty years in the industry, which is also from Abbott Elementary, which I feel strongly about. But Selena Gomez, if anyone who watched Wizards of Waverly Place, like that, might sound like a silly thing to come out of my mouth right now in this conversation, well, I but like, but like, Absolutely. she's hilarious. Her com- comedic chops were el- were relevant. I mean, were evident. Excuse me. <laughs> Mix up my words there, were evident (laughs) all the way back on her Disney Channel days. Like, anyone who watched Wizards of Waverly Place knows she's freaking hilarious and, like, has excellent comedic timing and she doesn't miss. She literally goes tit for tat with Martin Short and Steve Martin in, in, in Only Murders in the Building. So... I I would like to make the recommendation for people to watch that. It's an absolute snub. Um, I guess if it goes without saying, Caleb, like, right, that we recommend anyone or everyone watch any of those shows on these lists, obviously they are nominated with heavy competition. um, And they are, they are great uh, productions, but yeah. Yeah. That it. Yeah. And, and, and I hate to backtrack just for one moment because I'm doing this on behalf of my mother but i also feel very strongly about it so i have not finished the final season of this is us um but i think mm-hmm. arguably one of the biggest snubs of the entire award show um, nomination list is the omission um of this is us it was its final season the writing was um i've not only watched the beginning of it but i've done i've seen so many clips on tiktok because it wants to ruin my life and i've read so much about the writing and my mother who does not cannot say enough about it like the writing was absolutely excellent and i've actually been of the opinion that mandy moore has deserved an emmy for her performance and she has been nominated before for her performance um in this is us probably two or three times in the lifetime of the show but it was almost as if they like they got the assignment that they needed to write the right material and narrative for her in this final season so that she could give the performance that would merit a nomination and a win um, in this category. And I believe that they absolutely did that, but because of this absolutely ridiculous competition and, and it feels like lack of attention on broadcast shows in comparison to cable and streaming services, that they're not getting the same, the same, um, airtime or or just like, you know, time of day to be in consideration. And that like, I actually think that was a huge snub, a complete oversight. I think it is, um, I think it is evident of, of of a terrible trend in, in the industry. And I just think that Mandy Moore truly, truly, truly deserved this nomination. I told my mom that I think that, um, she'll probably end up being nominated and maybe even win, um, in this category for the SAG awards, because that is SAG after all actor voted. And I, and that's where this is us has been successful before, because I think actors recognize what it's like to play very well, the same character in three different time. Um, periods but i i I just wanted to make sure that i got that out there like if you haven't watched this as us kept continuing like picked it back up after a few seasons ago you should totally do that and mandy moore absolutely um deserves the nomination and and was completely snubbed here and you're welcome mom for making this very public um campaign and argument for mandy moore (laughs) um and then lastly i i wanted to just talk about because i think it's the other larger category um is the nominations for best limited series or anthology series, um, which has Dope Sick from Hulu, um, The Dropout on Hulu, Inventing Anna on Netflix, Pam and Tommy from Hulu, and then The White Lotus from HBO, which The White Lotus like really did want- bag bag a lot of nom- nominations. And to watch that, yeah, I finally ended up watching The White Lotus, which I really really enjoyed, and Sydney Sweeney actually ended up with two nominations. One for the White Lotus and a nomination uh, for Euphoria, which she, I mean, like, her performance in Euphoria, I mean, like, she fucking went in. Like, yeah, like, her, the acting chops, the first episode of that season of Euphoria, Sydney Sweeney, I knew, I literally knew, anyone who has watched it, her in the bathroom, up against the door, in the first episode, literally, I bet you that's the episode they used for her Emmy nomination, because... Just a little industry information. For people who don't know, they're not being judged on the whole season. Do you know that you when you are... For Emmys and consideration, you submit one episode. One episode performance is how your consideration is for nominations. So, I, 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 I if I was them, I think the first episode, her face. I mean, like, the physical acting in Sidney Sweeney's face in the first episode of the second season of Euphoria is just... Oh, freaking amazing. Um, okay,
0: I bet, I, I, what bet you, I know... I bet I know what episode they used in succession for Jeremy strong. I actually bet there was one episode that was just like, he had like five moments that that's, that's an award right there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's. (laughs) And I love seeing that in a show. Like, cause I am that person who like I, and I've been right about it other times, like where I'll watch one episode, right. Of a show. And I'll be like, that's the, that's the nomination. Like that performance right there is exactly what got them there. And I remember having that thought, and I, and I think actually even say something to you guys or other people about about Sydney Sweeney's performance when I watched the first episode of Euphoria second second season I was like God damn her ability to act is yeah she was incredible is, is, is impressive is yeah is quite impressive um, but more specific to the limited anthology series I think the White Lotus um, will take this one this one is actually one of those um, categories where I don't feel like it's actually very competitive um, I I haven't the, watched the other stuff I haven't I watched the
0: White Lotus is just like,
1: incredible. I haven't watched Dopesick, which I bet you is probably the most competitive here. I I caught the beginning of the dropout and like, really didn't like it. Um, hmm. I didn't mind Amanda Seyfried's performance of it. I actually think it was pretty good and she is nominated in this category for Best Actress in a limited or anthology series. Um, but Pam and Tommy, I didn't like the narrative, but I actually thought that Lily James's performance, which she's also nominated, was quite quite freaking good um in pam and tommy and then inventing anna i'm just very shocked to see it on this list i actually think that there's not enough competition in the limited or anthology series this year for there to be more because inventing anna like is on here several times and and like and and julia garner is nominated for best actress in a in a limited series for her performance in Inventing anna and like i don't know why like this is one of those ones oh. where like i could i probably couldn't make the i couldn't make the argument as to why one would put this on there like I didn't think it was a very impressive series. I didn't think the performance was impressive. Quite frankly, like the White Lotus, I think can can sail in on its high horse um for this one. Um but you know, for those um people who uh who who love our good Jennifer Coolidge hive, uh, I just want you guys to know that her flowers are coming, my friends, because uh Connie yeah. from from the, white, the the reason I wanted to like to to point this out is that for best supporting actress in a limited series, that The White Lotus took five of the seven nominations, five of the seven with Connie Britton, Jennifer Coolidge, Alexandra Daddario and Sydney Sweeney and Natasha Rothwell all being nominated. Like, is that, is that every female lead in the White Lotus being nominated for a supporting actress? Like Emmy, I'm almost positive it is. Uh, It is that good of a show, but I I just think that it speaks to the lack of competition amongst the limited anthology series, because I can't even think of one that I feel like is missing right like that one that didn't get its consideration i think that, that speaks to the lack of competition in this in this um category but also which is crazy right because if you remember last year when we went over this that's been a very competitive category the limited or anthology yeah. season, for several years now like an incredibly competitive category um i think it probably will be again next year knowing some of the projects coming up um and I'll use that as my transition because we wanted to kind of end this part of the the segment with discussing things we're looking forward to or that we've been watching lately and I'm a bit excited about. Um, I'm gonna be a little like fangirlish here, <laughs> and definitely show uh, my love for YA material. Um, for people who don't know, that's young adult material. It's it's the it's the genre that I write a lot of my screenplays in. I um, write a lot of the things I wished i had at that age and i like a lot of the things that i wished i had at that age so the one thing that i want to people onto that i absolutely loved and actually stumbled into um is the summer i turned pretty on amazon which is a jenny han novel who wrote um to all the boys i loved before a uh, series on netflix um she is a three it's three books this this first season is just the first book um i actually went to watch it thinking it was a movie like, thought that it would, like, I literally, like, went to it, was getting ready to, like, sit down and watch the movie. I went to watch it, and I realized that it was a TV show, and I ended up, like, you know, started watching the first episode and was hooked. It's beautiful, it's fun, it's inclusive, in it's representation, Um, and quite frankly, it's just a real, like, nice, feel-good summer YA show to watch um, that deals with, I think, really good um, themes in it, and then also has, like, 10 Taylor Swift songs in it. And it's oh so good. Right. It's, it's, no, it's so well done. It's so well done. What have you been watching, Caleb?
0: What have I been watching? So, What are you I, excited about? I,
1: about you?
0: Well, I can answer all of that. First of all, I do want to just say, I think the White Lotus, even in a deeply competitive field, could probably snatch a lot of Emmy nominations and wins actual awards. I, I, I think that was a really good show in general. Um, second of all, what I've been watching, I actually haven't been watching like a crazy amount of TV lately, but I've recently watched season two of hack season three of Barry. Um, uh, I watched the new Obi-Wan Kenobi show in stranger things and, uh, raised by wolves. And I mean, it was all good. I, I, I mean, like every single one of them didn't miss. I mean, they were all good. Um, in terms of what I'm excited for, I mean, I'm going to be honest, Like, I haven't been keeping up with my shows as much. I'm excited to finish the season for, of For All Mankind. It is so good. It might be one of my favorites out of all of the shows I just mentioned that I've been watching. Um, I'm, of course, excited for future seasons of that. I am really excited for... I'm actually really excited for um, the future of like the Star Wars universe. I'm very excited for like Mandalorian Season 3. I'm really excited for I hope next year it comes out um, uh, the Ahsoka show. She's my favorite character in Star Wars, hands down. Um, I haven't been keeping up with my shows as much as I usually do, but I have been I think because I've like just watched Obi-Wan Kenobi and they did such a good job with that show that I am just very much been thinking about all the shows they are going to come out with in the next year or two. And I'm very excited to see where they're taking the story.
1: Yeah, I like you know I, I was catching up on a lot of shows. Um, I mean, I guess I'll just you know be transparent. We were both talking about it. Um, that like two you know two and a half weeks ago, I had COVID for the first time, which was you know sucky. But I ended up you know in my quarantine was able to slow down and watch a bunch of shows that I needed to get caught up on. Um, first
0: timer, wow.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, happily so, right? I like, am happy that I had not gotten it um, before before <laughs> now, uh, and it wasn't it wasn't too terrible um thank god because i am vaxxed boosted you know as people go be. off yeah go off <laughs> um but i would say that like i don't know i i was trying to even sit here and think myself like what am i excited about that's coming in the near future it's like i actually don't think i know a lot that's coming out here uh, <laughs> yes. I, I was thinking about that as i asked the question to you so i i apologize <laughs> for, sp- for springing the hard one on you because i i i don't know of things that are coming out other than i am looking forward to the house of dragons uh coming out in 2023 um same which is the the um prequel series to game of thrones If people didn't know um
0: that that looks like it could be really good i'm pretty excited for it
1: and i'll just be honest. i'm looking forward to the next season of the summer i turned to pretty (laughs) when it comes (laughs) because it was just that lovely um but uh to transition a little bit to wrap up our conversation um i don't know that we you know should get into tiktok too much today um i guess we'll just say to the audience like we i have specifically been wanting to have like a robust conversation around tiktok what it means it kind of its cultural impact what are the benefits of it um all kind of in light of um, a member of the fcc um Asking and, and obviously not in, in a completely official capacity because the agenda of the FCC is determined by the current Democratic chair of the FCC. Um, but a member of the Federal Communications Commission asked Google and Apple to remove TikTok from their app stores, citing concerns that the popular Chinese-owned video app could send American data back to Beijing. Um that I think obviously has been a concern with TikTok since its onset. Um, but one of the yes. things that I eventually would like to have a conversation about is like, what does that mean from like a cultural um, and information standpoint? Because I think that um, it's it, at first I thought it was obviously a very like time wasty app, but I actually think that now it's become such a tool for people to communicate and organize um, and share information, and I think that that's been incredibly beneficial. Um, but I'm not going to uh, start that conversation up right now because I actually think it deserves a pretty like a a specific conversation that is intentional um yeah right if you, if, I, I assume you agree
0: i i do yes i very much agree i think i think tiktok is like a really interesting platform that has quickly become one of the most prominent and important places to be and this is from someone's that has somehow held out and has not gotten it as of right now um but it yeah it is it is interesting some of the i don't know maybe controversy with the privacy and like how like activists use it and stuff i think it just deserves a much better conversation than this has already been a, a, a decently long episode so i think we're gonna have to we're gonna have yeah. to wait for that longer yeah conversation.
1: it's definitely been a doozy of an episode so that was just a little bit of a preview because i did mention it earlier in the show um but we'll certainly give it time as more of a main segment especially when we have terrell back because i think he'll have some pretty strong co- uh opinions about it so with that being said we'll be right back And we're back.
0: Torrance, why don't you take us on a tangent?
1: Oh, I'd be happy to, because let me tell you, I've had this one wound the fuck up all week. Okay? So, my tangent is, this notion, I don't care who you are, mama, papa, grandma, grandpa, conservative, liberal, leftist, right-wing, I don't give a fuck who you are, but this entire line of... um. This is not what the founding fathers would have wanted. I'll just say this with no qualms, and whatever consequences it has in my future political career, if I have one, is fuck the founding fathers. Okay. Whoa. <laughs> Here's the thing. This line of like, I, I want people, and let's just be honest, it is specifically conservatives who use this as a talking point to to make these to to say, obviously usually discriminatory, hateful, or, or, or policies that are going to deprive people of certain liberties and rights um, that, you know what they what the founding fathers also didn't want? They didn't want someone like me to exist as a biracial person who has an inter, whose parents are in an interracial marriage. Uh, they wanted me to be to only count for th- for three-fifths or every three out of five black people in this country would be counted towards the census. Um they didn't want me as a gay person to have any uh, liberty or freedom in this country. Um they didn't want a lot of shit that exists now for the sake of having a more uh, prosperous union um in this country. So And also, let me let me use the actual specific words to form a more perfect union, because they understood that they what we had what they had ascribed in our Constitution and our Declaration of Independence was not perfect. That we were working always and striving towards a more perfect union. So I just want people to, to, to listen to themselves and think about what it fucking means when they say things like, this isn't what the founding fathers wanted. Because when you start listing out what the founding fathers wouldn't have wanted, our country would look quite a bit fucking different. How about we have a conversation about what we want? What the founding fathers wanted was a self-governed country, a democracy where we were rep- with a representative government. That's what they wanted. So they didn't want your gerrymandering. They didn't want your corrupt bullshit. They didn't want you using them as some crutch to continue to discriminate against people. What they wanted was to build a living document that allowed a country to prosper, to become more perfect, and to become a free, a, a liberated um, republic. So fuck your whole, this is not what the founding fathers wanted. And at the, at the end of the day, every time you say it, it is only at the expense of trying to deprive other peoples of freedom and liberty and the rights that they are, that they are entitled to in this country. So again, I will say it for a third time, fuck off. Caleb, take us on a tangent, friend.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Torrance. Mine's pretty uh, quick and simple. If you have not seen the images yet from the James Webb Space Telescope, holy shit, go look at them. They're so cool. We're literally looking at like almost the beginning of the universe. We're looking so far back in terms of light that galaxies are literally bending around each other with their light and stuff. It's crazy
1: go check them out too.
0: beautiful yeah just quick google search james lebb telescope will probably bring it up oh my god it is it's so cool it's small little
1: sidebar cool. did you see it like do we know what the um overall impact of that ding in the mirrors is going to be i know they're still gonna be able to get did you notice that did you hear about that that they they had they had prepared oh. they had prepared for certain levels of space dust to possibly um obviously to hit that wood we knew would hit the mirrors and they were they were tested to sustain a certain amount but there was a there was one that was larger and at a higher speed than what we were expecting were ever tested on the mirrors and it put a little bit of a ding in one which they they've already looked and said it is showing kind of like um like a, a, a an error graying out in that part of the picture where it's not going to be and and that was that was after they had already that the telescope had already sent the data from the first picture so you don't see what would what the what the what pictures are gonna look like um with that ding. And it sounds like maybe you hadn't even heard of it yet. But yeah, there's a ding in it and it's gonna cloud some of the pictures. And it doesn't keep out it's not, you know, obviously taking it out of orbit or anything, but um I'm just curious about that because as we were talking about earlier in the episode, I'm a spacehead myself. I love space travel. I love um trying to understand Same. what's in the universe and the galaxy. And so I have been hanging on, you know, I was I was waiting for the first image to be put out, which the president announced in a in a uh press conference. And so I I'm looking forward to continuing to see these absolutely beautiful and exquisitely clear um, uh, visuals that we're getting from the James Webb uh, space telescope. So cool. Check it out. Check it out. Well, Torrance, that's our show. (laughs) No, you're, you're, you're exclusive. The only sign on and sign off it's Twitter official. So, you know, (laughs) yeah. Lead us out, Caleb Smith.
0: Hey, look, this has been getting loose you know uh with strong opinions
1: with strong opinions yeah there were a lot of those <laughs> <laughs> i'm uh, i'm caleb and i'm Torrance,
0: and we're dangerously likely to see you next week